When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby. And I'm Adam Bob. And we're journalists with a combination of 40 years of experience interviewing some of the world's most inspiring and influential people, from pop stars to politicians, celebrities to CEOs and ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's right. We love a good story. And that is why we're here in your ears bringing you the first episode of First Act. In this podcast, we speak to some of Australia's most exciting movers and shakers in business and life. We want to know their origin stories, how they found their purpose, where their best ideas came from, and what mistakes they have learned from along the way. Now, today we're joined by Maddie Johnson, otherwise known as Maddie J. You might remember him from a little TV show called The Bachelor. Or maybe you've caught up with him on one of his many hosting gigs for The Living Room or Luxury Escapes. Well, more recently, Maddie's turned his hand to podcasting where he's the host of The Penny Drop, a finance podcast aimed squarely at Gen Y. But long before he was handing out roses and making women swoon or dishing out money advice, Maddie J was a dab hand at event management and a whiz in the experiential marketing space. And he's repped some pretty hefty brands. Now, he's even started his own content agency and he's tried his hand at radio. Did I also mention that he's a great dad? Maddie J, you make me tired just introducing you. Welcome to the show. It's really great to have you with us today. It's good to be here. I don't know how inspiring I am, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> I am, I'm sure that you'll bring something to the table. You always do in your many ventures that, are, that you are having in your world. So the pleasure's out. Uh, now to kick off the conversation, we start with what we're calling our first act icebreaker. <laughs> your icebreaker for today is, drumroll, if you could invite three famous people over for dinner from history or alive today, who would you choose and why? I think first one would probably be Winston Churchill. I I have a weird fascination with World War Two. Like I really I can't get enough of it. Um, so I would I would love to love to have him at the table. I don't know how much fun he would be at a dinner party. So um, he's he, there for the intellectual stimulation. Yeah, I, is he a big drinker? I don't know if he is. <laughs> Well, I think he liked the port or two. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, he can bring the port. Um, I would probably have to have as well uh, Robin Williams, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, just because, you know, he's going to bring the laughter, obviously. And um, and then I think I think I would also then, I know I'm, I'm picking people who are all deceased, but I'm going to pick my my granddad. Uh, my mum's dad, because I only got to meet him when I was quite young and 
it's it's funny when you always hear about someone and how amazing they were and it's it's almost it's a shame that you never got to experience them when you were an, an adult to to fully appreciate the type of person that they were so I was probably three or four when I met him uh, so I'd love to meet my mum's dad look it sounds like a great dinner party and um, I think Seth, I think I think you and I are already trying to get an invite to that. Thank you very much, Maddie. Let's start with. Um, I think we're gonna we're kind of just start out with young Maddie J. Was he always into TV and radio you know, from a young age? Um, I don't know. I think I think maybe in the sense of I loved to watch TV and I loved to listen to the radio, uh, but it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was a huge passion point. Like as a kid growing up, I never had any aspirations to be on TV or on radio. I think it was just, you know, growing up, I think maybe I'm the last generation of people who still view TV as being, you know, a little bit magical in a sense. Yeah. So what was your earliest TV memory then, speaking of the magic of TV? I think it was... I, I'm not sure exactly what year I was in. I think it was year three or four, but the school that I was going to at the time, it was we were invited to go and watch a few recordings of Agro. Do you remember? I'm not sure if yeah. he was on Channel 7 yes. in the mornings. Oh, Agro, Agro probably, I think he raised a generation of children. Maddie, I think <laughs> you and I, same generation, very much um, Agro every morning before school. Yeah, exactly. And I... I it was such an exciting excursion for us as kids. And, you know, it was so foreign driving up to the studios were at Mount Cutha in Brisbane and getting there and then walking through into the studio and seeing that, you know, the cameras there are so large for shooting TV. It was so, it was like, it's like being in a space station almost. Everything was just things that I was seeing for the very first time. And, and it was amazing to see, what we would normally watch on the small screen, but in real life, like it was such an amazing experience. And like as kids, we're also just going crazy because it was aggro. (laughs) (laughs) And he was so naughty as well. I think that adults appreciated him because he was full of these dirty jokes and double entendres that just went over the heads of the kids. (laughs) I know. He had had a fair bit of cheek on him, old aggro. When we're looking back into the 90s and, you know, and, even early noughties as well. Uh, look, uh, my first job was at a video store. Remember those? Um, what was yours and, and what did you learn from it? My very first job was actually McDonald's. I, um, I, I think it was maybe the fact that my sister had, had worked there and I, um, I was so excited. I remember when I got the job and I hopped on the bus home and I remember racing through the front door and and being like, "Mom, I've got it, I've got it!" Like I was, I was so excited that I'd finally gotten my very first job and I was going to be earning money for the very first time. And I think, I think one thing that it taught me was one thing that kids always were always doing is calling in sick. You know, when when you've got a, a workforce that's full of teenagers. Um, especially working weekends, I don't think the majority of us really put a huge priority on like sticking to the roster that was set each week, except I quickly realized that I wanted to earn more money. I wanted to try and save as much as I could. And I realized that if I was the 
if I was always going to say yes, whenever they asked me to fill a shift, I would soon become the kind of default person they would call when they needed something to be done. Um, and so I, I kind of, I guess that was a foundation of my, my work ethic and, uh, and being able to prioritize work. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud to say I got best new employee of the quarter at McDonald's Kenmore. I loved it. I loved it. And I, I remember one time when my mum was picking me up after a shift and maybe cause it was just everybody who was working there, we were all, we all kind of knew each other as well. Um, and I remember going, going home and saying to my mum, like, I can't believe, you know, I get paid for this. This is, it, it was just fun. It was just hanging out with mates whilst obviously, you know, we did a good job as well. But, um, but and also being able to save money for the first time was just, it was just incredible. Like all of a sudden I had like a little disposable income that I could spend on whatever I wanted to spend on. So you're talking about those kind of school friends and school days and hanging out with your mates at, at Macca's before and after your shifts. <laughs> um, so can I ask, when you look back at that schoolboy, that Matty J of yesteryear, um, is there much of a glimpse of, of who you are today in that, that boy from, from way back when? Maybe a little bit. I mean, I have always been atrocious at maths. Like maths is just an area that completely bamboozles me. So science as well, I was pretty bad at science. Um, my best subjects, I mean, I was pretty good at drama. Drama was something that just I found pretty easy. It was just, it was a, a really fun class and, you know, just being centre of attention was kind of fun and making people laugh was great as well. And the school I went to had a film and TV uh, class that I really enjoyed. I did that in year 11 and 12. And and maybe I remember probably the a bit of work that I'm most proud of when I was in high school was I did a short film called The Trampolinist and it was kind of like a mockumentary about trampolining as a sport. And sorry to anyone out there who is a professional trampolinist. Um, <laughs> I think your sport is incredible, but it was just a bit of a, a piss take really at the sport. And um, and I wrote it and shot it and edited it. And my mate was the, uh, the trampolinist. And I guess looking back, that was kind of the beginnings of me writing comedy and skits, which, which is like my, the bulk of the work that I, I do now on social media. Wow. It's so interesting going back into that, honing in on what that first project was, just the idea of like starting a project and having that creative seed and going, okay, I'm going to see this through and make something. And then how that translates into where you are now when you finish school. Uh, How did you decide what you wanted to do next? I think I kind of found my career by accident, really. I, I finished school and my best friend and I, we'd been saving up all that money from McDonald's. And we decided to go, we went traveling for about nine months, I think it was. We went to Europe, uh, we went backpacking around Europe, and then we did a bit of, bit of Asia as well on the way home. And when I came back to Brisbane, that's where I was living at the time, a friend of mine was had just started DJing. And, you know, I, I turned 18 when I was overseas, so all of a sudden I'm back in Brisbane and I'm, I'm allowed to go out. And I remember he was DJing on a night and he was like, oh, I need someone to try and help promote the night because, you know, I want to get people into the nightclub. And I was like, well, I could do that. I could just, you know, try and spread the word. And it was like the early days of promoting events on, on Facebook. But that was, that was my introduction into, I guess, like marketing really trying to promote an event. And then 
after a while, I kind of realized that I liked organizing events and I liked organizing, you know, the DJs and helping organize other people to promote the event. Uh, except the only issue was, you know, you're really quite limited with what events you can do at nightclubs. And I thought, you know, how can I, how can I take this to the next level? And at the same time, I'd, I'd gone to a few music festivals and I was like, wouldn't it be amazing to, you know, imagine if you look at an event at a nightclub, a music festival is, is like that, but on steroids. So I was like, that's where I want to be. So um, that's when I decided to study event management and, and start to try and focus on turning that like little weekend side hustle into a, a career. What was the, the tipping point where, where you went, actually, I want to be, I want to make this my career. I want to make it my, my life's mission even though you've po- you've moved on from that now, but at that time, what was the tipping point? Yeah, I think um, I kind of realized that the fact that I was studying event management, the best way that I was going to try and get a job afterwards was by doing as much work experience as I can and then having a contact with someone who could be a potential employer. So I was, every other weekend, I was calling up different event agencies or music festivals during the summer and and just saying like, hey, if you need anybody to work for free, you know, I'm happy to do it for work experience. And I got in contact with a guy, his agency was called Lampoon and it's still around now. And he was doing an event on the Gold Coast. It was called the Indy Cars. And sadly, they're no longer around. It's now the V8 Supercars. But on the Gold Coast for this weekend, it was like, it was kind of what the Formula One is in Melbourne, but on the Gold Coast. Um, and he would do these events, uh, like they're called off-track events. And it was at the end of that weekend race, the Xbox 360 overdrive party. And it was just essentially everyone, like the who's who from the indie race, drivers and sponsors and you know celebrities and actors would come and party at this event. And I, we were, I worked there as work experience and it was just was just fun. It was really, really fun. And I thought to myself, you know, this wouldn't this be amazing if this is what I was doing as a as a career. And uh and I just kept harassing the guy who had the agency. And then eventually I got a job through him after I finished studying down in Sydney. So that's when I moved to Sydney when I was about 23. You've got a ton of brands that you've worked for, you've worked with, you know, you've had Xbox, Peugeot, Capital FM in the UK, you've, you've worked on events and, and marketing there, uh, for them. So have there been any jobs, as, as much as, you know, a lot of them sound really exciting, but have there been any jobs you've done where it was just, it was so not right for you? Yeah, I think um, when I was working in London, I, I was working with my, my client was Vodafone. And when I started working with Vodafone, they used to sponsor what we would call the 3F. So there was Formula One, there was fashion and there was music festivals. And my first job was looking after the execution for all of their activations at music festivals in the UK. So in total, there was about 12 or 14. And it was just, man, it was just a dream job. I just got to go around music festivals all summer. And then when that finished, because all the sponsorships came to an end, because I was there for about four years, and I started doing just, you know, random bits of work for Vodafone through the agency. And this is so strange. I still look back and I think, what were they thinking when they did this? But Vodafone overtook O2, who's another telco in the UK, as being the number one provider of um, mobile phone plans in the UK. And to celebrate, the CEO at the time thought it would be great in the head office 
which is a massive, massive, it's like three different buildings. They wanted to overnight put a big red bow on every single pillar, on every floor in their, you know, main HQ head office. And there was thousands of these bows and it costs so much money and it was just a nightmare logistically to try and do it. So it was a surprise for all the employees. And so we had to do the install night. And I remember thinking like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I've, I've spent like four months doing the pre-production to just install 3,000 bows on pillars in head office in like the Midlands in the UK. Um, got the job done, but as far as events go, that was, wasn't the most exciting one. I, and after that, I was kind of thinking, maybe I should think about moving back home. So you spent those four years in London. Uh, is the marketing scene in London very different to what it is in Australia? What kind of difference did you notice from coming from the UK back to Australia and then working I, in marketing? I think it was just a big difference is the scale of events and budgets. I remember working in Sydney, if I was working on a, a project with a budget was around $100,000. I was thinking, this is amazing. You know, this is so much money. I have so many opportunities to do something amazing. And then all of a sudden I got to London and $100,000 was nothing. You know, all of a sudden a million pounds was something that was cool and that was impressive. Um, And so very quickly, you know, I got used to working on projects that were just so much bigger than anything I'd done before. Now, Maddie from Marketing went on to become Maddie J, the household name, as The Bachelor in uh, in 2017. So, look, reality TV can be a mixed bag of success for people coming out of it. I, how did you decide that would be a good career move? I kind of did it by accident, I think. I, I mean, after we finished filming, I went back to work and in my mind I was going to still work in marketing. And it was only as I was – I went for like one kind of wrap-up meeting at Channel 10 that someone who was – the EP of a, a show called The Living Room, asked if I wanted to fill in. And it was just as my contract was coming to an end and I thought, yeah, I'll give that a crack and see what it's like. And I look back and it was pretty bad. I wasn't, I was definitely wasn't like, I wasn't like a natural at it, I wouldn't say. But, um, but that little experience doing The Living Room, was it five or six years ago, kind of was, you know, my first time dipping my toe into the TV world outside of The Bachelor and where I thought, well, maybe I could make something of this. Coming up after the break, we'll find out how Matty J turned a career in TV and radio into his own business. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. We are back with Maddie J and we are chatting about all things Maddie J's first act and beyond. So Maddie J, we were just chatting about The Bachelor and that kind of, uh, that, that whirlwind that, uh, you know, that, that in, kind of ensconced you. Um did your family ever raise concerns about what that could mean for your career? You know, parents always, your family always have some opinions on these things, don't they? I think my my sister was probably one person who was a little bit cautious regarding the whole situation. Um, 
I think I, my my mum was like, yeah, great, do it. I think um, I think my mum probably had a lot of faith in that I was going to be, uh, you know, perceived as a nice person on the show. But it was just my sister who was like, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Or you don't need to do this. You've got a career. Like, do you really want to jeopardize that potentially by going on the show? You have not jeopardized it at all. You have built an amazing career off the back of it. And it's it's actually, it, it, it's awesome for anyone who does go on reality TV to see that if you have the right attitude and you are hardworking like yourself and you have really great ideas, you actually can have longevity and do a lot of different things. I mean, you've done, you've been a radio presenter on Nova as well as that, you know, the TV work that we talked about too. When we talk about the radio presenting side of things, um, what's the most surprising thing you learned from from that experience? Yeah, I was really lucky to have um, a couple of years with Nova. And it's funny, when you, when you listen to the radio, it just seems so effortless, you know, to have a free-flowing conversation, which is really natural, which is the aim. As a listener, it just sounds like two people turning a mic on and being like, hey, what's up? Hello, Sydney. This is Nova 96.9. And it's only when you're involved behind the scenes that you realize just how much planning from a production perspective is required for a show. Like, you know, sounds really obvious, but yeah, an hour show is broken down into segments. You know exactly when your breaks are, exactly when the songs are being played, how many songs and, you know, the topics for every single break and how long they need to be. So it was funny when I first started to see, you know, how a two-hour show was was mapped out almost minute by minute um, and then how, how much work is required and prep is required to doing those shows. Um, so I, I learned a lot in those two years. Now, some people probably don't know, but about a year after you were on The Bachelor, you started your own business, Pineapple Productions. Did you always see yourself running a business at some point in time? I think I've always loved the idea of starting a business. Like I, I'm a pretty bad reader, but some books that I really enjoyed were biographies, you know, in particular, Phil Knight, he started um, Nike or uh, Steve Jobs. I loved his book. You know, I, I really kind of, maybe romanticize the idea of like having this own, your own company. So, um, I, but I don't know if it was, it wasn't like it's an objective for me, but, um, but I mean, my, I have to be very modest here and you know, I definitely can't compare myself to Apple or Nike. <laughs> but one day, Maddie J, one day. Yeah. I'm working to it, Seth. Yeah. So what do you think you've learned about being, your own boss that you didn't expect? I think, um, I think the hard thing for me is, is, you know, when you're starting a business, majority of the time you're going to be a one man band for a period. And it's quite hard. Well, I find it hard anyway, to relinquish control of smaller tasks that aren't necessarily an area of my expertise. Like, you know, you, you wear so many hats as a, as a business owner and when you get so used to just doing everything yourself, it's quite hard to remove yourself, I find. So, um, so I, I, think, I think handing the reins over to other people is something that I struggle with the most. Yeah, that's, that is actually, that's a really common kind of thing that a lot of people say when they first start, you know, starting a business. And it's something that can, it, it takes so much time to kind of p- 
perfect that art. And I think it's always a work in progress, that whole, like, you could try to do everything, <laughs> you know, you could, but you're going to burn yourself out. And there's got to be a point where you know how to relinquish control, like you said. Totally, totally. And I know even, and even talking about it, it seems easy, but then actually doing that and, uh, and taking action on, on those words is a lot harder. I think you um, also need to recognise your own expertise, you know, because there's stuff that you naturally will be good at and that you should wear the hat for. And then there's other things like maybe the accounting in your case, Maddie, with your, your dislike for mathematics. I'd probably <laughs> say pass that on to someone else. <laughs> uh, I know. I'm not, I, I, if, I, if I never see another invoice in my, my days, I'll be very happy. Now, you, look, your fiance Laura Byrne is also an entrepreneur. Um, her business is Tony May Jewelry in Sydney, um, and she hosts a wildly successful podcast as well, Life Uncut. What have you learned from one another about business and running your own shows? I think the one thing I learned is you don't have to necessarily be an expert on something to have a crack at it and to do it well. And I think the evidence of that is when you know, Laura started her podcast about two years ago and, you know, other than doing The Bachelor, she didn't have any media experience at all. And it was just a little idea that she had with her friend Britt and they wanted to give it a crack. And I, I actually said to her at the time, I was like, come on, babe, you know, you're six months pregnant. You've already got a business, the jewelry business, which is doing really, really well. Do you really want to have a crack at doing a podcast? And I was working at Nova at the time. So I kind of had a a bit of an idea of the team that was behind doing these types of shows. So I was like, you know, you don't have producers, you don't have a studio, you don't have an editor. Who's going to do all that stuff for you? And she just said, oh, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy a little podcast equipment for home and I'll, I'll learn to edit myself. And um, she really proved me wrong. And she's now, I think she's the fifth most downloaded podcast in Australia. So they average about a hundred thousand downloads per episode. So um, that taught me that you don't, just because you're not an expert, on something doesn't mean you can't do it well and, and have a lot of success. So again, it comes down to the capacity to learn and the hard work that you put into it, isn't it? Yeah, and I think they just identified a gap in the market. You know, it was also around the time of magazines shutting down and a lot of people say that the podcast is a bit like a, almost like a, a podcast version of, of Clio magazine, which is no longer around. So it was just, you know, the right idea the right time. It was a perfect opportunity that they capitalised on. I think it's just so interesting the way the media landscape is changing and the emergence of new things like podcasts, for example, but then also influencers. Like, my gosh, influencers are everywhere at the moment. Like, you can't open TikTok without an influencer spruiking something at you. Like, mm. And you guys often work with influencers. You do partnerships with them. What's something that you've discovered about influencer work that maybe most people don't really know about or that you've learned along the way? I think, um, I think one big, big thing that I've learned is just how much the influencer industry has changed. I think back in the day, only a few years ago, the way in which brands were promoted was, you know, you would just have a photo with product in hand, whether it was like toothpaste or whether it was a soft drink or whatever it was, it, that, that's all it took. You know, there's a, like an old story of a brand saving up enough money to pay Kim Kardashian for one photo where she wore her, her dress. And like, that was enough to then get cut through 
in social media and, and make the business successful. And I think with so many brands flocking to social media, it's really made influencers and brands have to work so much harder to get cut through and get engagement. And so the way that we work now with our content working with brands is that we don't really, we, there is always always room for a partnership where the product is amazing and, and you genuinely do use it. And you can say, and, you know, as like word of mouth, hey, I love this product. It does exactly what I want it to do and it's fantastic and you should try it too. But the bulk of partnerships that we do are all based on doing video-based content where there's a high-level entertainment where it's mostly comedic and based on relatable moments that people experience in everyday life. And then within that is, is a product kind of peppered through. And so we found that's the most effective way to still entertain your audience and get that engagement, but at the same time promote a product as well. That is where that experience with the trampolinist has yeah. come in handy. Because and I and I do expect a trampoline video from you, Maddie J. Now, in one of your you know one of your amazing videos that you make, um, you know I've, I've seen some of these uh, these fantastic uh, videos that that you do, and it is about bringing a bit of a comedic edge to it and going, you know what, like we live in a world of products, uh, we live in a world where brands are coming to us. If you can make something entertaining, you know the message is so much easier to to digest, and I think. I know that that's also something you've been working on with your podcast, um, with uh, the penny drops with um, with Commonwealth Bank. Yeah, and I, I think my approach to to branded content kind of stems from you know as a kid growing up and watching Super Bowl ads. You know it, uh, how how great would it be to make an ad where people actually search on YouTube to watch your ad because it's that good, it's that entertaining, and I think that mentality should come across to you know, marketing, whether it be on TV, podcast, or on social media. So we definitely have a philosophy where, you know, in order to demand engagement from, from an audience, um, you got to give them something back. You got to give them entertainment. And I think it's really easy for bigger influencers who do have an audience of a few hundred thousand that are sitting there to not work hard to deliver them something that's going to entertain them. When when you say when you say we are you talking about um you know with your with your production company how many people are roughly how many people work for you or is is it really just is it yourself and you know you have contractors it's just myself and it's contractors so depending on the type of content that we shoot um, we just bring in those suppliers so you know for a more complicated shoot we could have up to ten people working on production um, but then the bulk of it is is just just me and myself. Wow, so really, you know, very much a one man, one man band. It's a lot of people's dreams nowadays to be able to do to do that. Yeah, I think my career now it's it's so ad hoc. It's really hard um, to focus entirely on on one product because you know opportunities in media still pop up every now and then. Like just recently, I had a chance to fill in for a couple of weeks on Studio Ten where while. Tristan had COVID and um, and so at the moment I'm still in a position where I've got my finger in a few different pies. So, you know, I'm still doing the media work and TV work when it pops up and I'm still doing um, social media partnerships and then doing other things like the podcast. So I'm, you know, I'm spread pretty thin. So eventually I think I will focus down on, on one thing and I probably would love to focus on the agency being an area where we can help brands 
work with influencers uh, where it's not so dependent on me being in the content the whole time. But whilst we're still getting those nibbles in more traditional media, I think we'll capitalize on that whilst we can. Now, you said you don't have a team, but you do have your two kids. (laughs) I imagine they provide quite a bit of inspiration because kids do the darndest things. So, uh, Marley, May and Lola, are they showing any signs of what their future careers might be? Do they have any special talents that they're putting in front of the camera already? I mean, Marley is, Marley is very, very funny. She is hilarious. And I think she's got a big personality. I think she's pretty similar to myself. Um, and so I think Marley could be a performer. I, I don't know in what capacity she's she likes to sing. I'm a terrible singer, so hopefully she didn't get any of my skills in that department. But I think, um, I think, and also Marley is very creative as well, really creative. So uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, yeah, she could be, she could be another jewelry designer. Or she could be, she could be an influencer, which I don't know if that's something you should say. Because um, I, I always view influencing as like with a little bit of of like disdain. But, but maybe that could be what she, what she is when she's older. <laughs> but, you well, know, it, it, if you're an, you can be an influencer who's offering, like, something. You know, you're offering, whether you're offering entertainment, whether you're offering expertise or something. I think there's that, because influencer, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but it has in the past kind of been a bit of a dirty word. And then oh, it's yeah. sort of morphed into content creator is, is sort of like the more palatable term that a lot of people use now. Yeah, I know. I think that's probably, that was a battle that I had with my own identity is um, like when I, when I started working at Nova, I, I really liked the fact that when people would say, what do you do? I could say, oh, I work at Nova. And instantly they would get it. And I feel like that always had more appreciation and weight behind it as opposed to saying, well, I'm an influencer. But at the same time, I do think the perception is changing and people are now really valuing having an engaged audience. Like even even I think uh, you know you look at a lot of TV shows when they're looking to to have people feature on the show. It's well, how can we how can we bring someone in who's going to allow us to to promote this show as well? So if you do have three hundred thousand followers, all of a sudden that's such a huge asset for you. It's funny, isn't it? That idea of identity and how much of our identity is wrapped up in in what we do. And like you were really happy to be. Maddie J from Nova and then, oh, Maddie the influencer. It's just really quite a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I joined TikTok 12, 12 months ago and uh, and I think TikTok is definitely an area where there's, you know, it's still viewed as being a, a platform where young kids learn bad dances. Um, but, you know, now I'm I'm pretty proud to say I've almost got 70,000 followers on, on TikTok. I I think um, I think social media is in the future. It's going to be more consumed than any other media platform. So it's uh, it's something that I'm now quite proud of, and I'm proud to to publicly say I, I'm an influencer slash content creator. <laughs> well, I think you should be proud based on based on the evidence of of your output. I reckon you should be proud. Um, as, I, as I've said, I am hanging out for some some sort of trampolining inspired <laughs> uh, TikTok video. Um, I think you know, I think you got good chances of of going viral with it, Maddie. 
we could we could actually talk uh, all all day about this. Um, you know, do some brainstorms. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have left for today. Um, thank you to you. You're very welcome. I need to start working on this trampoline idea. <laughs> thank you to everybody listening. Join us next week when we unpack another fascinating first act conversation.